to another episode of La Ventanita. I'm your host, Carlos Frias, the food editor at the Miami Herald, and I'm with, as every week, uh, Amy Reyes, the editor of Miami.com. What's up, Amy? Hello. How you doing, Carlos? I'm doing good. This is uh, this is like an exciting week, like uh, a oh week God, where a lot so of Oh my God, so much happening. There's too much almost happening. Yeah, almost too week. much happening. Because obviously this is the week of the South Beach Food and Wine Festival. You know, yeah, uh, it's like people... the Super Bowl of food. Right, exactly. That's a great way to put it. It's the Super Bowl of food. And it happens in our backyard every year. Uh, it's the largest food festival in the country. And so we have like all these celebrity chefs and local chefs kind of meeting up uh, in South Beach to uh, to create, you know, kind of one-off events. Uh, you know, big giant events under the tents outdoors, uh, you know, sit down more intimate dinners and I mean, it seems like everybody in the world is already in South Florida because of the way that but we're now they're the here world. to eat some food. Yes. Let's just corral them all. <laughs> yeah. Into put the them beach. in some tents and stuff them full of food. Right. Everybody go do your your uh, your groceries and anything you got to do. Go do it this weekend because everybody's going to be on the beach. So let's exactly that's where they're eating. So we got a lot to talk about. Obviously, the South Beach and Wine Festival. We'll talk about that after the show, you know, at, after we're done with our guests. Um, also, the James Beard Awards uh, announced their semifinalists, and I want to say there are 11 uh, different people uh, honored in it, so that'll be interesting to talk about. There's a couple faces there that we haven't seen in a few years. Uh, uh, Mike Parolo over at Machiolina, you know, which is nice to see that because that, I think that guy does incredible stuff. Yeah, Miami uh, repped really hard this year. Like, Miami has a lot of names on the, on the nominations. Yeah, it's nice to see because I think it's, and I think it's well-deserved. Uh, and the thing that's kind of kept me busy like the last few days is the story of the Hialeah KFC, which is the... Oh, my gosh. I know. Yeah, the no, it all KFC. started with the question. It started with the question, why can't you get flan at the KFC in Hialeah anymore? And the answer is very sad. It's very sad. I mean, I, it, it had the, this great distinction that it was the only KFC in the world that baked its own flan in-house, and it was made by a... Uh, by an immigrant chef from Cuba in the 60s, and it had been quietly been made for something like 45, 45 years. 45 years, yeah. That's no, crazy. That, that's They've been crazy. making that flan longer than most people have been alive. Exactly. So that's no, that. So. so, but it's gone now uh, for a sad reason, but we'll we'll get into the details of that. And if there's time left, we'll talk about uh, Smoke and Dough, which is Yeah, a we fantastic... really need to get into Smoke and Dough because all of my friends from Kendall really want to hear your hot take on that new barbecue place out in West Kendall. My hot take, or just at the beginning, to drop it at the beginning, is that it is easily now one of the best new restaurants in Miami, barbecue or bar none. Like, really, they are doing something special and exceptional that you're not seeing. Uh, I would say maybe with with the exception of Drinking Pig, which is just a little, which is a little pop up, uh, on a scale that that uh, you're really not seeing anywhere else in Miami. So I'm very excited. So about it's it. basically the herald of the culinary renaissance taking place <laughs> in Kendall, Florida right now. I mean, that's it. I'm just going to, we're just going to have an outpost. Your house is going to be the new, the new bureau, the new, uh, the new herald uh, headquarters because everything. And you can just related. review Kendall restaurants every day. That's it. We're just like the Kendall Herald now when it comes right. to food. Uh, but first uh, we have uh, a really great guest today. Um, uh, a guy that I've been that I love talking to uh, because he is funny and he's got a, an interesting take on just about everything. Uh, and he's one of the the coolest guys who's very down to earth. And uh, that's Ryan Sense. So Ryan Sense was a newspaper ad salesman until the day he walked into his boss's office and told them 
that he was quitting to brew beer. Uh, <laughs> that became a brewery that he called something, uh, a little place he called Funky Buddha. Uh, it started as a strip mall brewery in Boca Raton, and he fused these culinary flavors like maple bacon, blueberry cobbler, blood oranges, even guava pastelitos into beer. And it turned at one point into the fastest growing brewery in Florida, which he eventually sold, not for a small sum of money. So anyway, I want to I want to I want to treat this episode a little bit like like a uh, how I built this. Right. Um, uh, you know, kind of what inspired Ryan to make such unique beers uh, all the way through the selling selling the brewery, but really just getting his takes, his, his terrible food takes. What what food made great beer? What food made terrible beer? Uh, so we're going to welcome him to the show. What's up, Ryan? Hey, hey, guys. Good to see you, man. Good to see you guys as well. Before we start, we just need to um, let you know that one of our co-workers is angry with you because you did um, make some beer using mangoes. And she hates mangoes, and it's like her its her least lo- beloved fruit. She complains about it every year. And so she Who hates she's mangoes? Ma- Connie Ogle, oh. our co-worker Connie. She hates mangoes. And so... Um, send her a gift basket. <laughs> you should. <laughs> Definitely just a giant it. pile of, of nice mango ripe, <laughs> ripe mangoes. And the funny part is she's got a mango tree in her yard, doesn't she? No, what? no, no. She no? would never. No, oh, I thought she had a tree in kidding? her yard. That's an act of aggression. <laughs> <laughs> we should plant one in her yard. We should. I think it might honestly be the best fruit. Other than being a little bit of a pain to, to peel and to eat, I, I love mango. I have a mango tree. So. Yeah, I have several, and they're... of course you have a mango tree. <laughs> of course you, because we're in South Florida. I don't have a mango tree because my neighbor two houses down has an enormous mango tree, and so I have a mango tree. It means That's you have a works. Yeah. Well, as long as you're friends with him, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so Ryan, uh, kind of start us a little bit back at the beginning. Like, wh- where are you from? You're from originally from Boca Raton, right? What's What's oh, your background? Originally from California, but just as a baby. So my, my family was out there, uh, moved out to Florida when I was six months old. And I, I've been in Coral Springs, actually, since since I was a baby. So 45. So for, since 1977, we were in Coral Springs. And now I'm, I'm back in Parkland. So bounced around, living throughout South Florida, anywhere from Boynton, Delray, actually Delray, um, Boca, like you said, um, and now back to Parkland, where I grew up. So, so you grew up, uh, you know, a, a Dolphins fan. Yeah. Uh, you became a Heat fan, I'm sure. Sure. I know yeah. you're a hockey fan now. I, I certainly, certainly because they sell your beer there, which is nice. That, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, that's what got me into uh, growing up in Florida. You, you know, you don't follow hockey as much as you do other sports. Um, so I wasn't, but I love soccer. So I don't think there's a huge difference as far as, you know, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of scoring. It's about setting up plays. It's the anticipation. But I've, I've, it's quickly become my second favorite sport. I love it. I love hockey. Wait, what's your favorite? What's your favorite sport? Uh, Miami Dolphins football, without question. All right. Regardless, I mean, yeah, it's my favorite. Yeah, even though they make us, so even though we know the Dolphins make us cry. It's, yes, correct. Every yeah. year. So, so take me back to the beginning. We have a we have a friend in common, Jake Klein. He used to be uh, the entertainment one of the entertainment editors at the Sun Sentinel. Uh, he's a he's a good buddy, and and he used to be the editor at CityLink. Where yeah. you were, you were an ad uh, newspaper ad salesman. Uh, newspaper ad salesman, yeah. So, so how did that? How did you go from that guy? And what? How'd that conversation go? Like, I'm going to give up this fantastic life in newspaper ad sales. Yeah, you probably worked. <laughs> you probably worked in ad sales, like at the point when ad sales was like pretty lucrative, right? 
I, I, I definitely took a pay cut leaving to, to start a business for sure. And I was doing well. Um, you know, CityLink was, was booming. I was part of the forum and selling forum products. Uh, and, I li- and I liked what I did. I liked the people that I worked with. Uh, loved, you know, Sun Sentinel. It was, I, I wasn't, I didn't love the idea. I wasn't a sales guy per se, but I liked the idea of that you get in what you put in, you work hard, you're going to, you're going to get rewarded for it. Um, and what kind of turned me around to liking sales is that I actually believed in what I sold because I talked to the people that we sold advertising to and they would tell me, yeah, we got 30, you know, coupons in from your paper this week or, you know, people, the phone's ringing off the hook. So it was easy at that point. So I did well, I did really well. And, um, one of, so one while of my, you were working while you were working at the Herald, were you just brewing beer in your bathroom? Like, where does one like <laughs> as a hobby brew beer? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, in the you know wherever the kitchen, the bathroom. But yeah, I mean, I've, I've been brewing since the '90s, uh, five gallons at a time. Not not all the time, but I would. You know, I, I brewed. I started with the Mister Beer kit, um, and I think I might have been less less than five gallons. But yeah, and I was doing that, and one of my clients at CityLink happened to be own a small place called R&R Tea Bar and the Funky Buddha Lounge. And I, I, you know, always wanted to own my own business. I was an entrepreneur, and saw an opportunity. Wanted to sell it, and it was, it was, it was a tea and a hookah bar mostly. And you know, I was a craft beer fan. I was brewing, so I purchased that from him. Small place, seven hundred square feet. And there was a there was a period where I was doing both. You know, I worked during the day doing sales, and then come home and then go work at night at the, at the lounge. And I did that for, geez, maybe six, nine months. And that was just, it was brutal. And then I, when I, I finally just made the decision, I said, this is, this is what I want to do. This, I think there's an, there's an opportunity here at least to make enough to, to live and be happy. And that was it. And all that, of this, all of this was happening and you hadn't turned the place into a brewery yet. It was just a lounge, right? It was just a lounge. So I, I immediately at least brought in like craft beer and I brought in kegerators. But again, it was 700 square, square feet. There was nowhere, no, no room to, to brew even five gallons. Um, so we quickly kind of got popular for being a craft beer bar, mostly in part because there wasn't a lot of craft beer bars back then. Um, there was maybe Yard House was down here. But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot of places you can go. And we offered a lot of crazy selections. And it was a passion of mine. It was something I enjoyed doing. So I just kind of filled my needs by bringing them in and uh, that we did really well. We were getting a claim for being a good beer bar. So the opportunity presented itself to move down the plaza, which to a, to a spot three times the size, still not big, but 2000 square feet. And, um, and I just thought, you know, why not add a small system? And it wasn't because I thought I was eventually going to open up a brewery. I was, I just think, well, we sell craft beer. I brew. I had a friend that I patterned my system after in Tequesta um, called corner, uh, corner cafe. Uh, eventually became to quest a beer company and uh yeah started brewing beer and, and the rest is history well take me you back know, take me back because i want to know like what was the first beer you ever brewed where people were like oh this isn't terrible oh like this one is the, this is the one like wh- what you were doing before we were just being nice like yeah, yeah. how long did it take you to get to a point where you're making beer in your bathtub at the house where people were like oh he's actually he's actually doing something yeah I mean, so when you're brewing beer, even at home, I think people are just so happy to drink beer that you give them. <laughs> they tell you that, oh, this is so good, even though you know it's not. And sometimes it is. Um, so I would say right away we were doing beers that were palatable, that people would drink. Um, we, you know, we certainly got better and, and grew and, and started learning. But when it, when 
I think maybe what you're referring to, like when, when there started to be more of a buzz about it and other than just brewing beers is when we started kind of doing little off kilter stuff. So something a little different, you know, the original Floridian, for instance, um, was made with uh, orange zest and vanilla beans that we were hand scraping and putting into the boil. Uh, so it was something a little bit different. And at that point, no one was doing that. Um, there was a handful of breweries that I liked, um, namely like Southern Tier in New York, that were doing beers like a, a called I think it's called Chocolate or Chocolat that that actually tasted like chocolate. And so I gravitated towards that. I said that's that's what I want to do. That this is delicious, and no one else is doing it, which was crazy to me. So that that's what we did. Ryan, what what was what gave you the idea to to try something like that to try something that to other people you know it was it just wasn't being done i mean i think right now if you're just getting into craft beers and stuff it's hard to imagine a world where you couldn't get you know a a chocolate porter or something like yeah. that but you but you were doing mango, things guava, like man, <laughs> yeah. mango have mango habanero beer like i had yeah. never had anything like that and it blew my mind it was like yeah. it was like some some mangoes that you got from a neighbor right yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we named that beer Bob's Backyard because it was our, a good customer named Bob that came in and brought us mangoes. We said, all right, we're making a mango beer. And and just that week earlier, I went to a Mexican restaurant and they gave me a, a, a or they gave me on the way out, I grabbed a piece of candy and it was a mango habanero candy, which I never had those flavors together. So it was that was the impetus. It was just like, OK, if, if we can, if that tastes good, why wouldn't it taste good as a beer? And I guess, you know, what gave me the luxury to do those things is one, I was brewing 30, 35 gallons at a time. So it wasn't a huge risk, right? If it was bad, we were pouring 35 gallons. Bigger risk back then, it, you know, that it hurt. But it wasn't like now today, if we do a bad beer and we pour 900 gallons or more down the drain. Um, and it was it was a passion project. It was, I did it because I wanted it. I, it was a beer that I would want to drink. So I thought, okay, there's going to be more people like me. And, you know, if we, let's do this. Let's try it. Why, why do continue to make... IPAs and pale ales and, ju and just those things. Not that there's not a place. Is it? I mean, is there a, a favorite kind of food that you have that that has that kind of complex flavors? Because I imagine when you start having beer, when you start creating beer that have complex flavors, blood mm. orange, for instance, things like that. Is there a kind of cuisine that you gravitated to, like uh, I don't know, Thai food or Mexican food? Things that is there something that you even gravitate to today because you like the different yeah. things they mix up in it. No, because I don't think I, I gravitate even eating. I don't gravitate to any one particular style of food. I, I kind of look for me. That's that's the, the most fun is looking for inspiration and, and trying different cuisines and seeing how it might work. And and you don't necessarily want to do something for the sake of being weird and just putting out a beer. No, you know, I'm going to make a steak and potatoes beer. That's good. <laughs> um, and now that we haven't done some beers that were huge misses, you know, I try to. I always tell how I did. I try to do a Bloody Mary beer and in my head. It tasted delicious, so I was using tomatoes. Oh my god! But you know what? In the Dominican Republic, they drink this thing called. Uh, they put this stuff called clamato. Yeah, like a clamato here in their presidente, and it's actually pretty good. It's like yeah. it, that's uh, good. what I did. What I did was terrible. Oh. It, was, <laughs> it was undrinkable. It was gross, and I tried to. I was like, mm, mm, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. uh, and there's and that's not the only one. We've done a bunch like that, but. Um, yeah, you just you try you try different things, and that's that's the fun part of you know cooking or doing whatever. So you look for balance in flavors, you look for unique flavors, you look how flavors interact with each other. And to me, I'm a I'm a sponge, so I'm going online and I'm looking. And if I if I'm introduced to a new fruit, I want to know all about it, and then I want to look about what what might complement it or or what 
you know, and then, then you start looking at the base of the beer and you say, okay, how does, which base, you know, whether it be a, an IPA or uh, a lager or a porter, what, you know, what's going to be the most symbiotic with, with the flavors that you're going for. So to me, that's, that's what I still, I still to this day have the most passion for. Do you, how much do you still create? I know because uh, a few years back you, you sold the brewery, you're, you're staking the brewery, but you still re- you retain basically daily management and control. So how much do you like every day? How Really? Every day. Yeah. Whether it's um, beer flavors or, or, you know, working on new seltzers or other projects that we're doing, I, I don't think that a day goes by where I'm not tinkering or, or certainly researching something that we might do. You know, it's, you have this, um, you created this thing that was totally a passion project. Like, you know, in your own words, it was going to be this brew pub for you and your family. This was the thing that you wanted to do. But then at some point you kind of stepped it up to the next level. You went in on an enormous brewery and you brought in your brother, right? Like yep. to, to kind of expand that. Why do that? Like, what was the, the interest in doing something like that? So, um, you know, when we were doing it again, 30 gallons at a time, 40 gallons at a time, because we were doing something pretty unique, um, we started getting invited to festivals all over the country and then all over the world. And we were going to these festivals. No one had ever heard of Funky Buddha. Why would they? Um, but they would see our lineup. And before they even tasted our beer, you know, for better or for worse, they, we had the longest line by far, you know, because you can go and try, I've, I've tried this and maybe they'll have a double IPA, which would have been crazy back then. But then there was this weirdo doing an apple pie beer and they're, they're going to get in line for that. So that kind of got me more interested in thinking, okay, this, this could actually potentially be something bigger. Um, we were, we, we did something called the extreme beer fest, which is something I used to do as a, just as a fan. It was a, it's one of my favorite beer festivals up in Boston from, from the guys that own beer advocate. And, uh, we, we, we went there again from being invited to that for being a fan was already already crazy enough. We went there in year one, we had the longest line. And I mean, it was it blew my mind. So I, I told my brother who him and I always wanted to, we, he's an entrepreneur as well. He, he ran his own businesses. Him and I always wanted to do something together. I told him, I said, you got to come with me next year. I said, it's probably not going to be the same because we're, they're going to be over us, but you have to see this and, and just come and have fun. And he did. And same thing. And we were, you know, the talk of the brewery and here these guys making, you know, and they didn't know we were doing 40 gallons at a time. They just thought we were a brewery in Florida that they hadn't heard of. So it was, it was largely him that kind of said, okay, we need, we need to do something bigger. You know, this is your wasting, you're wasting your time. Um, and I was, I was happy and not necessarily content doing what I was doing, but I love the idea of that, that next challenge and say, okay. And then what, there wasn't any production breweries in South Florida. Um, there was some in West Palm, I believe, or maybe Palm Beach, certainly none in Miami that were actually producing and bottling and getting out to the public. So it was right place, right time, um, and, and a push, a gentle nudge, and he came on and, and yeah. Okay. So now that you have now that you have people behind, like, you know, you have corporate money behind it, are you do you feel like more free to do more creative stuff now that you, you, you can you basically money's not a problem. So do you feel more free to do creative stuff or do you feel like there are people like, no, we need to find something that's, you know, that's, that's palatable for more, you know, for more people. Like it's more, more of a, um, you know, more of a taste that everybody will like, like, how do you feel like being part of a bigger corporation has affected the the creative process? So awesome question. Um, so yes. So you do have, I mean, obviously when you're, when you sell and you're no, no longer making the, the big giant decisions, 
um, you have to take other people in, in their direction in mind. And even just as we were growing the business, we realized that it was going to be beers like Hop Gun and Floridian vibe in our lager um, that were going to keep the, the, the lights on and the door, doors open. Are those the beers that are more like Presidente and like the yeah. ones that I would drink at a poolside? Vibin is one that you'll like. And 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 truth be told, that's the one I drink now. I don't necessarily, I'm not grabbing a peanut butter and jelly beer that we make and having that at dinner. I'm having a Vibin or a Hopgun or a Floridian. But what what drove what drives excitement and what keeps me excited and is is doing new new flavors and new things. So as far as as far as constellation coming on they they've been great since the beginning they've never told me a single time this is what we want you to make or these are your limitations um you know they purchased us for us to continue to do and what we were doing and what what kind of made people excited for us and as far as you know money and what we spend that that hasn't changed i used to make my brother nauseous about what i would spend on ingredients and he would freak out like you spent how much on raspberries so i don't have to deal with that anymore but yeah, I mean, we, we, we have access to barrels that we might not have had access to before, but how we approach beer has not changed a single bit. I, I think the one of the most interesting things about your business is is something that happens with a lot of small businesses when they grow, which is, and that are successful when they grow, and that is they have one person who focuses on creative and one person who really focuses on the business side. Yeah. And I think you and your brother were like that. Casey is like the, I will... I will be the bean counter. I'll be the bad guy. And you get to be the good guy, mad scientist. Oh yeah. Uh, Definitely and, the bad guy. and you, and you've told that raspberry story before, like how there was, there are sometimes you want to create a, a thing that's going to be prohibitively expensive. And your brother tries to talk you down off the ledge. What, is, yeah, what it, was that like? It, it sticks in my head because I, I just remember at that time we shared an office and I hadn't told him, he just was reading the invoice and he, and, and it was something I tried to sneak by. <laughs> and, he's, and he was like, you know, at the time he was $4,000 or something. He's like, he, you know, he's throwing up in his mouth and I'm just, I, just trust me. <laughs> These are the things we do and we need to continue to do in order to differentiate ourselves and make it and, and we'll get the money back. Um, but I, you know, definitely want to be clear that, so, you, so you're absolutely right. And I, and I tell people that all the time that are looking to get into, whether it's this business or anything else, like you can't just be all passion and, and, or, and creativity. And, and get into this and, and succeed, nor can you just be a really good business person. And while it's, you know, Casey and I are super complimentary, like there's been tw 20 other people that literally we wouldn't be where we are today if, it, it, you know, if we didn't have them, you know, my wife, you know, we had marketing director, John Lynn, uh, you know, Ross, um, my original partner at the lounge, Jim Bast, who like kind of got, got us going. There's just, it just doesn't, there's so many things that have to click and work for, for you to be lucky enough to say, okay, we've been a success. We've done well. So how did the, how did the beer snob community react to you when you guys got this big infusion from this, uh, this co company, when you got bought by a, a larger company where the beer snobs like, Oh, how, how dare they? Or were and they be like, honest, don't yeah, do be honest. Were they, this beer punch pulling like thing, a, I they seem like real, real, like, like real loud. <laughs> that's nice you say loud uh yeah they hated us they absolutely hated us they um thankfully you know we were one of the last big breweries to sell big we were one of the last big acquisitions um so I, they had somewhat gotten used to it and people were kind of throwing up their hands and you know 
to a certain point, I get it. You know, uh, you don't want someone that you you kind of start, followed from the beginning. There's a sense of like, oh, we're going to lose them because they're going to get too big and everyone's going to like them, like the small band that you like. And there's also the sense that, oh, Constellation bought them. Now they're only going to make Mexican beers with lime in it. And, and you know, I just kept telling people and they, no one believed me. I said, just, just trust us. Nothing's going to change. Literally nothing. I'm not leaving. My brother's not leaving. The direction's not leaving. It's changing. Um, you know, but yes, we got, we got a ton of hate and, and, and we, we expected it. It's something that kept me up. It was, you know, I didn't, I wasn't, it was a very bittersweet day when we sold. I'll just say that. It, it, it's, it's a little bit of selfishness though. I mean, to say that like, it's like asking a writer to write uh, alone in his room and just show his printed papers to his 10 friends. If you have a blog and a, and a company was, as, you know, a book company wants to publish your blog, you know, like, meanwhile, you're posting your blog for the internet to see who likes it. And then somebody comes along and wants to pay you for your creati creativity. Like, and you can keep doing it. And you yeah, can, you can keep doing it. So to me, you know, I don't want to say it was a no brainer, but it was it certainly made easier. My uh, similar this week, my friend told me there's a band that we both love um, called War on Drugs. And they're coming to uh, in, into Fort Lauderdale. And uh, he said, oh, God, I hope no one shows up. You know, so we so like, you're a big fan, you know. So at the same time, like, yeah, you're right. I don't, I don't want to be like this. his favorite band to feel like a bunch of scrubs just so right. he can enjoy it by himself. I would be the only one there. It, remind, it reminds you of that old Yogi Berra quote where uh, it's like, uh, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Yeah. <laughs> That's what my, my, my grandfather told me when we were starting to get hate, you know, when we were starting, people were not liking us and, no one goes there anymore. They're too crowded. I love that. Uh, I, you know, what's funny is, uh, is that I think what, what you guys growing certainly, I mean, after the sale too, is, is that you can get funky Buddha beer, like even the stuff that was, that everybody used to look forward to, right? Like the last snow, which is this, uh, um, coconut chocolate Porter, right? Which was everybody anticipated in this bottle and, and people tripped over and, and you were kind of left sometimes without being able to get the beer. Now you can get it in a can across the country, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, so, maybe that kind of merit. I think that warrants the question. Like people like the beer, right? But like people also like the event of like lining up outside the brewery to see who well, else yeah. likes it. So they could like narrow down their, you know, they could be like, oh, these are my people. Like my yeah. people are the people who, who would wait in line for, for a beer to be launched. They also like the idea of them trying the beer that maybe only hundred bottles were made or a thousand bottles were made and totally. be able to talk about it. That's, that's a huge part of it. That the same beer that we had, that was very popular that had lines. As soon as it was made available, those people didn't even want it. Um, <laughs> you, know, so, you, know, you mean once you could buy it in a store, they were like, nah, I'm not yeah, yeah, yeah. other people did. So it's, you know, it was less popular, what we sold more. And so people were liking it, but you know, you didn't get the people that were the collectors or the traders or the or the tickers that was as we call them, the people that wanted to to rate four thousand beers or ten thousand beers. The influencers. Yes. <laughs> the, yeah. the beer influencers. Yeah. I mean, there's there's something like that in everything, right? Like uh, you know, the women who want the one new purse that came out that's got the stitching that's a different color, or Ooh. the watch nerds that the the second hand is a size of is a round instead of a little pointy arrow like there's there's always a group of connoisseurs that want to be you know First. part of that exclusive inside the only one. yeah yeah so so let me ask you what so what kind of uh, beers are you into today because i feel like craft beer drinkers went like this they were like i hate beer i hate beer i hate beer and then i had a sierra nevada yeah and then uh and then i had porters and then i had uh 
beers that taste like food, sour beers, yep, and yep. then and then like back to like terrible beer, and then it works your way back to to just having an uncomplicated you yeah. know lager with dinner or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. People, are, people are embarrassed to hand me like I'll go to a party and they'll go, "All we have is you know a this macro," and I'm like, "I like that beer. It's it's fine. It's delicious." Yeah, you're 100 percent right. That's how it starts. So it's like not getting into beer. And then for me, it was um, Newcastle was like, you know, oh my God, beer can taste differently. And then Sierra Pale Ale and Sierra Celebration and then Belgians and then Porters and then it, and then anything but high gravity, 12%, 14%, you know, and then I, I was, I got heartburn from sours. So sours were never usually my thing. And now all I want is lagers and pale ales and, you know, easy, easy drinking beers. And I'll, I'll sip everything that people want me to try. Um, but if I'm enjoying a beer, I'm out, I'm outside. I'm, 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 I'm a lager guy. So, so play Cicerone for Amy, who, who I yeah. think only likes like, like, uh, the yellow fizzy beer that you would have on the beach when it's, yeah. it's yeah, extra I'll tell you cold. what beer I'll drink. Okay. <laughs> That's why, why I kept my mouth shut when you guys talk too much, when you get too into the weeds, I just shut up, but I'll drink Presidente because I lived in the Dominican Republic for a few years. So like that, I like that, that beer is just like grandfathered in. Yeah. Um, and I like Stella. I'll drink okay. Stella. I don't even, I don't even really like super love Heineken. If mm. I, if I could have a Stella, I'd rather drink a Stella. And then, um, honestly, if I'm eating tacos, I'll have a Corona. Like yeah. this is, this is my beer menu. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it t taste is subjective. You, I guarantee you like some food that I think is disgusting and, sure. or, or think that is unpalatable to me or, you know, people, some people are anti-ketchup and some people, even even that whole argument, it's like, oh my god, he used ketchup on his perfect steak. It's like, who cares? Who cares how other people do what as they a, do? As a beer dum dum, what yeah. would like what what is it that people look down upon about any beer that I would pick? Like what what is it what is it about a like a, a something super basic like maybe a Corona that somebody who's a beer snob would be like, mm. you know, is it the ingredients? Is it cheaply made or is it the process or is it just because everybody can get it? Is it basic? Like what is it? Well, don't use Corona. Corona is a perfect beer. Don't beat the golden calf, Amy. It, it is a good beer. I, I'll drink Corona, especially with a, if, with a burger or with tacos. Like, what else? You know, and it has to be super cold. You know, in the DR, they have these special refrigerators that they store their Presidente in so that they'll be, like, all white on the outside. Yeah, it's ice cold. cold. You know why they do that? They see that Novia. Yeah, you don't taste it. The colder something is... The, you know, the, the, <laughs> it's like frosted, like a beer nerd will hate if you serve it to him in a frosted mug. Um, oh my God, you just know. ruined Presidente for me. <laughs> no, yes. no, it shouldn't because I love ice cold beer. It's so refreshing, but I'm not drinking it for the quality of the beer per se, like versus like just enjoying a beer. Um, and I think there's a time and place for those things. And um, so what people will knock, it's just, I think it's just preference and, me in particular, like, I I won't drink a Corona in a in a in a clear bottle, but I love Corona cans. I I prefer Modelo over Corona. Um, I can't stand Heineken because of the green bottle. There is something about what the light does to those beers, uh, whether it's a clear bottle. And that's why you see most craft and a lot of other breweries will will, will go to dark bottles or cans. Um, but I think that's what they'll knock, or they'll just say, "Oh, your your palate hasn't evolved." But I mean. I'll eat a Philly cheesesteak with cheese whiz and that's delicious. Yeah. That and you'll have it and it's good and everybody's happy. So what's, what's your, what's your comfort food, Ryan? Like if, you know, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to like, 
you know, where you go, where you splurge, like if you have a real nice night out that you want to go out, you know, with the missus, but like, what's your daily comfort food? Three kids. We're not, we're not going out. For nice food. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that. We eat a lot of Uber Eats. My Uber Eats, Eats bill is insane. Um, I, I mean, I love a good steakhouse. I love sushi. I, I, I'm jealous. We were talking earlier, just the amount of restaurants you guys have in Miami. We don't, we don't have the, the food culture and the, and the options that you guys have there. Uh, so I'm less adventurous on, on moving out and trying new things. When I travel, I'm, I'm the first one to going on and looking for the best restaurant in that area. Um, comfort food to me, my wife's Brazilian, so I'll, we, I love rice and beans. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not picky. I like, I like good food. Do you, do you have a food take that people are on you about? Well, like, what's your worst food take? My worst food take? Uh, like, you had yeah. mentioned ketchup on, on, on steak, and if you advocated for that, oh, I'd be like, that's a pretty bad food take. That's but a really bad food I'm going to assume that's not yours. I don't do it, but I allow it, you know? Uh, I, I do I – do, I cringe when people do their steaks well done, too, just because – especially a good steak. Um, but Yeah, not, yikes. That's it doesn't matter. Uh, I think I have a perfect palate, so I don't think I have a bad food take. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I gotta think. I have arguments a lot with Mark Hawkman um, from Five Sixty because sure. I think he's got the worst food takes in the history of man. You know, I our argument is like he he loves cookie cake, and I said that's it's not a cake; it's a cookie shaped like a cake. I mean, you might as well call pizza a cake just because it's the same shape. <laughs> and he says ice cream cake is the worst, and I said that's absolutely. False ice cream cake is the best, so I don't. I don't have any. I can't give you a hot take. I have all good takes. I think. Okay, I well, think Mark, Mark Conway goes out of his way to. to the, he's a provocateur. He's yeah, a. He's yeah, a bad take yeah. food provocateur. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, what's it, a good beer to pair with breakfast? Like, what goes well with eggs? <laughs> with eggs. Maple bacon coffee porter, man. There it is. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. Coffee, coffee, coffee beers are great for breakfast. Um, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. My chef has been getting on me because I've been telling him for, for years I'm going to work on a mimosa beer. Tried it. Also bad. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I would say, I'd say like nice coffee beers are good in the morning. Amy, yeah, if you have, you've not had this beer, I know, but it, it's called Maple Bacon Coffee Porter. And those are the three flavors that you taste in it. And it's like you have it not ice cold, like not hot like you would have coffee. But if you had that like with waffles, like with like kind of brunch chicken and waffles and that maple bacon coffee. I really porter. think I need to have this because, and I know I've been seeing, you know, like I know people lined up for this beer and I, just on paper to me, this sounds like something that I would probably just be like, Oh my God, what is happening? Right. Now? Yeah. <laughs> I it. Like it, it just sounds like there's too much going on. Like how could I possibly enjoy this? But I would be open to trying it. Well, you're you should have one at your house in 25 minutes. That's what they told me it would be delivered. Oh we put that in there. I put that maple bacon in the pack for you. So. Yeah, right, we, yeah, and and every year I love that every year there's a special beer that you brew, and this goes out to your heart of being a South Florida guy. Yeah, you brew a beer called Undefeated Saison, which I'm holding up for the camera, and my my awesome ball lighting here doesn't show it off very well, but Undefeated Saison, it's um. It's a beer that you brew in honor of the Miami Dolphins because the Miami Dolphins have a tradition where the the undef the only team to to be undefeated all the way through the Super Bowl uh, was the uh, was the '72 Miami Dolphins. And every time a team lost, the last undefeated team lost in the NFL, they would crack open a bottle of champagne. So you yeah. 
did a beer in that honor. Tell why why was that like that how did that become a thing that you were interested in doing and a thing you were interested in honoring? So the the, the name came first and that was from a uh, I love to take credit for that cuz I love the name but it was a we had a brewer named Morgan back in the lounge days and it was just talking about saisons and he said we got to do an undefeated saison. And then I was like, oh, oh, we're doing that. And then the idea came is like, why can't we change the, you know, flip it around, change the tradition to where, you know, they're opening up, they always open up the, the, the champagne. Why can't we change it to where uh, they're opening up our beer? And so, so we built it around the, yes, we're not going to release it until the last team loses. Um, and it's going to be made similar to a champagne. Uh, so we, we age it in white wine barrels. We use champagne yeast. We use grape must, uh, Pinot, and uh, I forgot the other grape must that we use. So we try to make it, and the one that you have right now drinks like very much like a white wine um, or champagne, but I think more like a white wine. Uh, so yeah, we started this tradition, and then what we do is, so for instance, last year, I believe it was Green Bay. Green Bay beat some team that they were the last team. So what we do is we also send a bottle to the coach to thank them for doing for, for keeping the tradition alive. My brother and I sign it. We send it to him. We ask him to send it back. So, and all but one coach, I won't put him on blast, have have sent it back over the years. Uh, Matt, but this year was Matt Lafleur from Green Bay sent it back. You know, saying "Go Pack." And, and right there. <laughs> that is about. Uh, I think it's terrible that one guy didn't play ball, and I can only guess who it is. But <laughs> I'm only gonna. I'm just gonna guess inside my head. I'm gonna. I would think it's Bill Belichick. Because... I would tell you Bill Belichick because I wouldn't mind putting him out there. But no, it's not Belichick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't. I wouldn't think Belichick. Oh, okay. So it's it's somebody more obscure then, which is which is okay. If it's Bill Belichick, you'll you'll rake him over the coals, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. So yeah, we we did that, and it's it's been a fun tradition. And next year, that actually season. sounds good. Yeah. I would drink that, Carlos. See, that's, yeah, that, that sounds it sounds like a it sounds wine ish, and um, I can get into that. Do you like white wine? I'll drink white. I'll drink champagne. Like okay. I like champagne and I'll, I'll drink Prosecco. I'm not like a huge white wine drinker. I like like three different grapes, but like, gotcha. yeah. Cause I get, I get that headache, you know, right mm-hmm. here. Yep. Yep. This so. one doesn't have headaches. Huh? A- no, no headaches. No, no. A- so. Amy also has uh, what we, what we affectionately call white girl stomach. Yes. So we, oh. you know, her eyes, she's, she's very interested in eating all the new food and then her, then she and pays then for things it. Things happen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, um, yeah, you bottle that coming as well, Amy. So, mm-hmm. look at that! Look at that! Amy's you hit all the good stuff. Nice. I gotta wait outside for the UPS guy. I'm just I, gonna stand I, there, like, where it, is he? <laughs> I waited for the knock at the door, and by the time I ran out there, UPS guy had left, and and you know he took. Well, my, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna package. drink this on on Sunday because this Saturday I have my hundred mile bike ride. I'm doing the the Dolphins Cancer um, yeah. Challenge. And so I'm trying to be a good girl this week. I will have all of this like Saturday evening after. We've done that the last couple of years. We've never done the 100 mile. I think that I think it was 25 that we did, which is enough. 100 miles is awesome. That you're doing yeah. that. That's what by the king, isn't it? It goes everywhere. It starts at the Hard Rock and it goes everywhere. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So, so what has your beer celebrity gotten you in the world of uh, in the world of sports? Like you get you get tickets to anything you want to go to now, right? You get to the you get to the Dolphins games now. We, we pay for our, our season tickets like anyone else. And uh, <laughs> when we sold, we were able to buy season tickets. So we, that, that, that's been good. Um, no, I mean, no, we, we've, we've, we've met a lot of cool people. That's, that's been one of the more fun parts about getting into the business because 
we're in, we're in a, a, a fun business to begin with. People, you know, it's a social. People like drinking beer um, and getting to do stuff with the Panthers. So yeah, we've we've been very lucky. And the Dolphins, like their their CEO or something, had a guy that was like a big craft beer guy. So he wanted to make that part of the stadium, right? If I, if yeah. I remember, yeah, they they did. I mean, they've done a complete. I don't know how often you go to games, but they've done a complete renovation there as far as the food that they offer. I mean, really cool chefs have gone in there and they embrace craft beer. So we've, we've been in the stadium for, for a couple of years now. We're really supported. Well, listen, uh, we've had a great time talking with you, but we've, before we let you go, we got to ask you to play uh, our weekly game. We do a, a kiss, Mary kill. All right. Oh. So, so usually we'll, we'll, uh, we'll ask folks to, to pick three foods that okay. they are, that, that are popular with them. And we'll ask you to and kiss one. And this almost feels appropriate at this point because your beer t- sounds like food, essentially. Am I really kissing it or am I mentally doing what they were okay. doing? You're going to kiss we're, it or marry it or the, kill it. This is the PG version. Okay. Yeah. But, 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 okay. but we're doing, we're, we're going to call it kiss, marry, kill. Gotcha. Got so let's say maple bacon coffee porter, mm-hmm. last snow, and no crusts. So for the folks at home, the maple bacon coffee porter we talked about, Last Snow is like a coconut chocolate beer. And no crust is this insane beer that tastes like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I kid you not. You drink it and you're like, oh, this tastes like peanut butter. And then kind of the aftertaste, you're like, that tastes like strawberry jelly. <laughs> it's insane. That was a fun so, one. To- so you're going to have to, you're going to kiss one, you're going to marry one, you're going to kill one. What's it going to be? I, I'm gonna, this is going to be easier than you thought because they, they all have certain relations with me. So the, the no crust was done because my daughter at the time was eating nothing but uncrustables. So that's what sparked that idea and not killing and I'm not marrying my daughter. So I mean, I'm going to kiss the no crust. Easy. easy. Um uh, that's for Riley. And then let's see. So, and then we've got, I'm either killing maple bacon or killing last. No, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah. Killing Marion. I'm going to, I got, I got to, I, I got to marry maple bacon just because of what it did for the brewery. Um, having the maple bacon day, it, it got us like national attention. So I'm, I'm, I, I think, I think last no is my favorite of all those beers to drink and I'm killing it. So I didn't like it. Dang, like that is how much you love your daughter and you love your original beer. Yeah. It's a mercy killing. This, the that last that is, is a mercy, mercy killing. killing. Wow, I am impressed. Well, you know, you mentioned that the peanut butter beer came, like this idea that you were eating a lot of Uncrustables. Yeah. Now, I have a theory that everything is a sandwich. Maybe not <laughs> everything, but a lot of things. More things than you would say are sandwiches. Okay. So I say once the Uncrustable, right, is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich where they crimp the edges – Yep, and it becomes enclosed. Now it's, it's still an a sandwich, and I'm saying that's an empanada. That's an empanada. So, yeah, are you with are you with me here that an, that a, an uncrustable and an empanada are essentially the, the same, same thing. thing? I'm 100 percent with you. I am right I, now. Hmm. Once you've once you've embraced the empanada, once you've embraced it into your heart, mm-hmm. right? Then things open up. I feel good. Yeah, you feel okay. I think yeah. he's, he's joined the Church of Sandwich. It's absolutely an empanada, and empanadas are, are way better than sandwiches to begin with. So, uh, yeah, it's no the uncrustables are empanadas, are savory empanadas. Well, <laughs> we, we froze them, and then we would, you know, so this was back then. Uh, I'd get home from the lounge at three o'clock in the morning, 
that that would be readily available. So I throw in the microwave for like 20 seconds, and then you'd have still frozen peanut peanut butter, but molten lava jelly that would just explode and burn my face every time, and I wouldn't care. It was torture. So, and I still have good memories. Oh, it's the pizza roll of uh, of, yes. of uh, experience. <laughs> the pizza roll experience. <laughs> Well, Ryan, you're a prince, man. Thank you for making the time. I appreciate you talking with us about our silliness, and uh, we wish you the best of luck uh, with the brewery. Thank you. This was easy. Nice to meet you. See, told you. (laughs) Enjoy the beer. I will, definitely. See you guys. Thanks, Ryan. I can't wait to try this beer. That's all I got to say. See, you're a beer hater, but how was was Ryan? Oh, he's a sweetheart. Yeah, That guy's... He's fantastic. He's he's literally one of my favorite people to talk. I'm to. not a hater. I'm not a beer hater. I'm just like a beer. Um, let's just say I'm, I'm mediocre when it comes to beer. I just like normal ass beer. Like I feel like uh, some. You know, I, it's been my experience that a lot of time craft beer tastes like soap. But <laughs> well, that's a common thing because people they start using more hops, right? That the the beeriness of it. And they thought, hey, this is a good thing. And there was this great article a few years ago that was that said something like people who put too much hops in their beer are ruining craft beer for everybody. Yeah, it's like it sticks to the top of your mouth and it makes it taste bitter. And like then there's it's not good. It's just gross. And I think that like I've had enough of that kind of beer to make me think, okay, craft beer is just bad, you know. There's so. a, there's a beer right now that I had with the um which I'm gonna transition here that I had with really great barbecue at Smoke and Dough, uh it's it's a margarita gose so a gose is kind of like a it's got like a salty finish to it believe it or not it's got it's a little bit like a margarita flavor already mm-hmm. um so it's this really crisp beer and I think I want to say it has a little bit of like a like a guava background flavor to it so it's like this beer that paired great with something that's really heavy like barbecue you know. No, well, I will. I'm I'm very um sad to have learned that the reason why I like my beer so cold is probably because I'm trying to mask the flavor of it. <laughs> <laughs> I only like this beer when it tastes more like fizzy water. When it tastes like freezing cold, <laughs> freezing cold ice water. Like anyway, Perrier. why don't you why don't you talk to us about smoke and dough because that is the review that I was excited to hear about. All right, so I, I was totally not expecting this. I, I was actually dropping off my daughter at a at a little birthday party over at uh, Finca. You know, because she's 15 and some kid was having a 15s. And, another you know, fine establishment in West Kendall. Another fine establishment in West Kendall. So I was like, I'm already out this far. I've already got my passport stamped. Um, and I knew that uh, the, the owner of Empanada Harry's uh, was opening this barbecue place and that it had opened a couple weeks ago. So I went over there really honestly with low expectations uh, because, you know, I don't know. It's because good barbecue is really hard to do. It's It's exceptionally hard to do. And... So I went over there and I was basically killing like two and a half hours. Uh, I said, well, I'll just order some beers and I'll just wait it out here. <laughs> and um, and as I'm ordering, you know, I, I see Harry comes out and says, hey, good to see you here. You know, can I put together a plate for you of like like what we usually do is our the, the family pack meal, but we'll do it for like one or two. And, you know, barbecue is one of those things that you can't fake. Like you couldn't rush out and be like, oh, the food editors here, let's get the good barbecue you know it's like <laughs> it takes 15 hours to make a brisket right so whatever's there is what you're getting exactly you can't there's no way to mask it so he brought out uh, a bunch of these different things this this in, this brisket uh, pulled pork uh, a sausage and amy i there was not a miss on the plate like i kept mm-hmm. taking a bite and thinking this is 
This is one talk of the best briskets the, I've had. Talk about the sausage. Like, I'm not even a sausage person, and the sausage that you had sounded amazing. Yeah, there was a – he makes – he calls it a timba. So a timba, uh, like Cubans have this saying that a timba is a, is a piece of, um, like, guava paste with uh, with some kind of cheese, like cream cheese or, like, a yellow cheese, and you eat it like a, like like a, a little snack? snack bite. Yeah, and that's a timba. So he, he had that idea, so he put – he put white cheese and guava inside the sausage, and it sounds weird. No, I'm I'm on board with this. Yeah, I and it's not it's not sweet at all, but it just adds like an extra background flavor. And really, what it, what what I learned was that you know the the guy is a baker. You know, Harry Harry Coleman is a baker, so the guy understands heat and temperature, time. You know that that leaving something at, at too high a temperature or too low a temperature can affect the way something tastes. And like that adapts perfectly to barbecue because you right. really have to understand long, slow cooking, you know? Mm -hmm. And Amy, the brisket that he makes is perfectly tender. And brisket is tough because there's, it's actually two cuts of, it's actually two muscle fibers, right? One that is much more uh, like uh, lean and one that is fattier. And you have to be able to cook them together at the same time so that neither one dries out and they're both tender. And he nails it. He nails it. And like once you nail a brisket, you can barbecue anything else. And nice. and honestly, I was I, I, I'm comfortable saying that it's uh, it's uh, easily the best, some of the, the best win. barbecue in Miami. Kendall for the win. All right. Kendall so talk to win. us. Talk to us about the uh, James Beard uh, semifinalists. Oh, it's exciting, right? Like, so, uh, you know, every year the uh, the James Beard Awards, they highlight kind of the best in food. The folks who are doing the best restaurants and, um, uh, you know, the best they're the best chefs. And, and Miami had uh, quite a list this year. Uh, I want to say that there were 11 people um, who were, who were named in, in one way or the other. Um, which person, which person surprised you the most and which person got you the most excited? You know, uh, the, I like that Miami had um, one of the best new restaurants. So um, there are only, there are 30 that are nominated in the semifinal and only one can be like best new restaurant in the country. But it's kind of an honor to make that list. That yeah, because that's a nationwide list, as opposed to Best Chef South, which divides the whole country up into into smaller groups. Right, exactly. And that the one that made that list was Zitzum, uh, the uh, the the place owned by Paulo Zitzman that he started during the pandemic right. when he basically lost his job and he was making uh, dim sum out of his condo. And and selling, selling it, it on via Instagram. Instagram, and so like there was this line of people in the garage of his condo, and he's handing out food from the back of his from from his trunk. You know what I mean? And that's yeah, the that most Miami thing. And then that became this little. Uh, he found a spot uh, on Alhambra inside of a bank building. I mean, uh, didn't even put a name on the door because he couldn't afford to do that. He just wanted to to put that money into good food, and people found it. And nice. the, the dim sum is influenced from his like mm -hmm. Colombian background. He's got a, he's got a, a big, um, it's like a big dumpling that's kind of shaped like an arepa and it's stuffed <laughs> with, with brisket and it's really delicious. Nice. And it's all this mix of flavors. And he says, I'm not aiming for authentic. I'm aiming for authentic to me, you know, like my experience in food that I love. And, 
And, uh, you know, the James Beard folks agree that it's uh, one of the places in the country that you got to pay attention to. I think that's really cool. Well, to see all of the nominees, we'll put the link. We'll put the link. Well, the link is on Miami.com, so you can go take a look. But Miami really did the most this year. It really all right, did. Carlos, to close, you have to tell us the story about what happened to our KFC flan. Okay. So, you know, the, the backstory was that um, there was this one uh, KFC in Hialeah that was making its own flan. Why? Because back in the 60s and 70s, KFC was still one of those companies that was small enough that they encouraged individual franchisees to make their own food, to make their own individual dishes at a restaurant. So th there was a chef that had been a Cuban immigrant uh, there that would make uh, it, you know, he'd help make like um, fried shrimp and uh, chicken fricassee, you know, and chicken livers, things like that kind of using the stuff that they already got at the restaurant to um, innovate other things. Well, the guy would innovate then before um, he'd create something called the staff meal, which is, you know, staff gets together and they have uh, some kind of meal before the restaurant opens or after it closes. And, um, and he created this flan using these giant pressure cookers um, and, and a recipe that he kind of innovated to be able to cook inside inside of it uh, using this, you know, the bain marie, which is uh, kind of there's water filling up. So it's slow cooks, you know, it's not direct heat on, on the flan. And it was this fantastic flan, Amy. It was this incredible flan. You've had it. It was. Yeah, totally I've had it. Perfect. Like anytime you were inside. driving down, driving through Hialeah, you just stop there and you're like, I'm just going to get some flan. Yeah. And it was honestly, it was better than a lot of people make at home because it didn't have that, yeah, for sure. that squishy texture that you get from, if you cook it too fast, it gets like these bubbles that makes it taste like a sponge and it's, mm -hmm. that's horrible. But this did, this was perfectly silky. So unfortunately the, the guy that, uh, whose family had owned it uh, since the seventies, um, he, he got sick. He, he got cancer, um, uh, right, right around the time of the pandemic and even after he recovered, he was like, you know, this is a lot for me. You know, the pandemic is going. Um, I've been sick and I recovered, uh, you know, he's 72 years old. And he said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to sell a restaurant. And he ended up selling it to this big uh, uh, corporation um, that owns something like 600 KFCs. Like they're like a billion dollar in revenue company. And and just as he was getting ready to step away. He later finds out that he also has pancreatic cancer, um, but that they caught it at an incredibly early stage. So his chances of recovery are very good. So he stepped away and he kind of left this legacy behind. But unfortunately, because of the pandemic, um, you know, they've had a shortage of workers. There's because of the supply chain shortages, they haven't been able to get some of the ingredients they needed to make the flan. Like because that was kind of off book. It was kind of mm -hmm. uh, outside Extra. of what. Yeah, it was outside of what KFC usually got delivered from their supplier. So, and they only had now really only one person left on staff who can make it. And they needed that person making chicken because it's <laughs> KFC, it's Kentucky fried chicken, not Kentucky flan chicken, you know? Well, is there, a, is there a silver lining at least? Well, the, the GM that I talked to there, um, who's been there for 30 years, believe it or not, she worked for, for Dan Yagoda, who was the owner for 30 years. She heard from her new bosses that they... She will be allowed to make the flan if they can get the ingredients and they can get the staff freed up to make the flan. And the flan is like a six to eight hour process. So, so hopefully we have not seen the end of the, of the KFC, KFC flan. flan. So we'll, we'll keep an eye out for it. So, you know, check, check my Twitter and we'll, uh, 
We'll see if we'll keep uh, you if, updated on the. Flan. I will keep you updated because I'm I'm the the KFC flan beat writer now apparently. <laughs> All right, well, Amy, well, I think that's a show. That is a show. So we're gonna thank Ryan for being on. Thank you for making time, and uh, we will do it again next week. See you next week. Peace out.